0: Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Ah, oh, excellent. Today is, say it with me, people, it is Friday. Woohoo! hoo um, December, December. Nice try, Jeffy. January, January 19th. Ah. Oh, um, it's been a busy week for me for no good reason. I feel like I've just had lots of errands to do um, trying to get back on schedule. Uh, big thing before I forget tomorrow is the SIFWA H E A quest starting at 9am Pacific time. Uh, great lineup, several panels all online. If you are already a Nebula registrant, You can attend for free. If you're not, you can attend for the low, low price of $10. What a bargain. Uh, Some great panels on business, uh, editors, fighting off burnout, dealing with um, newsletters, that kind of thing. Also some networking time. So if you're around online, please uh, join us. I'm also excited to tune in for a panel on Tanith Lee on Sunday. I registered for that, and um, I'm interested to see how that is. Apparently, they're going to do a new anthology of Tanith Lee and um, talk about influences, uh, what a great influence she was on so many of us. Died tragically young. Um, Yeah, I have a whole shelf full of Tanith Lee books. And otherwise, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Laurel K. Hamilton uh, deal this week, and which involves some retrospective on like watching the internet come online. It's a Gen X episode today here at First Cup of Coffee. Uh, first, my report on Amethyst Run. I've been doing pretty well this week. I had a great day on Tuesday. Um, and that I've been going down again. Yesterday was not great. <clears throat> I did at least word count wise. I went to uh writer coffee, tried to get words beforehand. It helped some. Um, yeah. Still not quite in the, the groove there. But um I don't know. I'm kind of looking at the thing where it seems like as much as I try to get myself so I can do 3000 words a day. uh, I I wonder if it's truly sustainable for me. I seem to do much better at 2000 words a day or I seem to default to that. If you're on video, you'll see I'm also drinking a little bit of vitamin C and water. I'm feeling ever so slightly under the weather. Not much, but Tis the season, right? So I am at midpoint on Amethyst Run, which is always uh, a pivot for me, both story-wise, but also um, speed-wise. I do tend to speed up towards the latter half of the book, which, uh, for those of you who are newer to such conversations, is how it should happen. If if you've um, correctly set up The structure of the early parts of your story, then the later parts of the story should fall into place. Uh, The number one thing I look at when a writer complains about having a saggy middle of the book or a slow middle or not being able to fight through the middle, you look at that first act and you look to see if all of the stakes are properly set up. Because if everything's set up, then the rest of the book should cascade from there, <clears throat> especially following the midpoint pivot. I won't spend a lot of time on that today, but food for thought. I can talk about it more if you want me to. <sighs> so, um, so yeah, big kerfuffle in the writing community this week. And I almost hesitate to say anything because I feel like everybody is weighing in and I. I have mixed feelings about this. Um, I think there is a certain social media value to people weighing in and being on the side of outrage that is not always tremendously useful. I know. Well, I won't go into that too much, but every time I see, uh, some other author weighing in going, Oh yeah, I'm outraged too. It's like, are you really outraged? I mean, maybe you really are, but mostly you just want to be in with all the other people saying how outraged they are. Anyway, allow me to fill you in because I do know that there are shockingly enough, many people who listen to this podcast who are not aware of, um, The online kerfuffles, uh, many of which seem to be occurring on threads now, which is making me regret (laughs) joining threads. Ah, alas. So, but it originated on TikTok where Laurel K. Hamilton uh, put up a three minute TikTok video talking about self publishing. And for those who don't know Laurel K. Hamilton, she is, um, I would say, one of the, you know, the first bold voices in urban fantasy as we know it. Uh, the first time I went to like a world fantasy conference and people said that Charles Lint had invented urban fantasy, I was really kind of shocked because it was like, I thought it was Laurel K. Hamilton. Um, she was one of my entry points. I first read, um, guilty pleasures in 1990, something like that. I'm glad I checked. I had the wrong decade. Guilty pleasures came out in 2002. I know I read it when it was new. Uh, and she continued on with that series, which was the Anita Blake series. And it was at the time so unusual and so fresh. Uh, with Anita Blake being a necromancer and having an affair with a vampire and a werewolf. And if this sounds tired and done, it's because it's been done and made tired since then. When she first wrote it, it was like nothing else. And it was amazing. Uh, and, And it was, yeah, people just gobbled it up. And I was a huge, huge fan of Laurel K. Hamilton for a very long time, and with her other series, the Mary Gentry series, but she really started to spiral out of control and in the in the books um kind of jumping the shark, losing the plot uh and and I love reading sexy stuff, but she would go into these pages and pages and pages of these sex scenes that kind of didn't really go anywhere um, and did not advance the plot. And there were a couple of, it happened in both series that there were certain overall trajectories, big goals that the characters would like fail to make any progress towards because they were so busy having sex. And it, I fell off the series after a while. Um, But what really became a problem for me was that um, she started a blog. You know, as I was talking, this timeline was bugging me. And so I went to look again, and I was right. Guilty Pleasures first came out in 1993. Um, I hate how, like, these, like, Amazon does that, where they replace the, the dates and it becomes very confusing. You know, it's like, which edition is it? I wish they were better about listing that metadata. So 1993. Okay. I'm glad that my memory was that good because I remember that time in my life. Uh, and most of all, I remember that the internet was very, 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 very new. Uh, and so new that, you know, blogging hadn't really kicked in until later than that. Um, people were still figuring out what to use the internet for. Uh, I've told this story. I'm not sure I've told it on the podcast, but uh, very early, (laughs) I was living in a small town in Wyoming, working at the university. And so we had the internet and so forth. And I was at work and I wanted to go see the Bare Naked Ladies. And I looked up Bare Naked Ladies tickets and it immediately started opening all of these porn sites and back then that this is cane shaking, you know, walking uphill in the snow, both ways. We did not have pop-up blockers. We didn't have, we didn't know that that was even possible. And so all of these windows started spontaneously opening like, and I, they were opening faster than I could close them again. And I was like, no, no. And it was all of these very raunchy pictures. Ah. Um, yeah. Such were the early days of internet searching. So, um, I can't remember, maybe I can figure it out. So, I mean, this is like all of this, you know, ancient history now, right? 30 years ago. But, um, she went through some big changes in her life. And in around 2000, 2001, Uh, She ended up divorcing her husband, maybe a little bit before that, married a guy who was um, a huge fan of her books, and she became very much more interested in exploring sexual themes in her books and in her life. And she had, she started a blog, which in the early days, you know, it was like, it's almost hard to explain what it was like because it was before that things had been so opaque opaque. You know, it was hard to obtain books. You might not be able to get the next book in the series. You know, you could ask your bookstore to order it. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. You'd end up cobing various bookstores and newsstands to like find the next book. Um, And you would read like maybe magazine articles about people, but you didn't have this window into them that we do now for better or worse. And Laurel K. Hamilton started this blog, which as a huge fangirl, I was delighted to read, but it went like way over the top rambling and I some of the stuff in it was like things I didn't necessarily want to know right now we are familiar with this phenomenon but at the time it was revelatory and i remember having dinner with a work colleague while we were traveling and trying to explain to her what reading this blog was like so um you know and then there were several things that happened uh there was a big conference where and this was like around that that same era Uh, maybe a little bit later, where she, um, because she was like very much into these very sexy things, she went up on a stage in front of a huge audience wearing a very short skirt and bent over while someone else pointed a leaf blower at her to blow up her skirt and reveal her very sexy lingerie. Um, It was a time, people. Sorry, and I still haven't gotten to my point. I am rambling here on my... On my vlog, my video log, right? Uh, So, Laurel K. Hamilton put up this TikTok video, right? And I haven't been following her closely for a lot of years. But she went off on self-publishing. And people are taking this very much as her stomping on self-publishing writers. And I do think that it came from a place of of good intentions, but it also came up from a place of profound ignorance, which is very true for a lot of these authors who have been in the business for 30 years. And that's partly why I'm telling this whole story is that it is difficult to communicate to the youth of today, sorry, um, just how profoundly the world has changed for us. Uh, with the advent of the internet, with the incredible marketplace that is self-publishing. Uh, for us, and I remember when I was shopping my first book in you know, the mid-2000s, 2007, that area, um, that some of my friends said, well, you could always self-publish and it's the wave of the future. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not ready for the future. It wasn't I mean I could say that I was probably a coward uh certainly my bestie Grace Draven uh did I pronounce it well so the transcript will get it right it still won't uh she ended up going into self-publishing and doing very very well um in some ways she was forced into it in a way that I was not I I didn't want to do it unless I was self unless I was forced um it wasn't there wasn't the same kind of cachet to it then and and it mattered to me it mattered to other people and I think it's still a factor even though so many indie authors want to say that it does not matter to them and I mean obviously I'm hybrid I self-publish I'm very proud of my self-published books um and I want to say that it doesn't matter to me that there is still uh, some bias against those books, but how can it not? How can it not matter to us? Um, you know, we could say we laugh all the way to the bank, but you know, it's still you, you want that validation and what Laurel K Hamilton ended up saying. And then she did a couple of follow-up videos, which is all very, very on brand with her because she has always done stuff for attention. She loves having people paying attention to her. And I say that without rancor. Um, You know, if she could put up, she's not doubling down. In fact, the most recent one from yesterday, she apologized for, for being ignorant and saying that she, you know, had she been talking to the wrong self published writers because in her initial screed, which I realize I still haven't detailed. I apologize. You know, she basically said, don't self-publish, you know, try traditional publishing first. And, you know, that. and she was talking about how, as a traditionally published writer, that she has a marketing team behind her and all of this sort of thing, seeming to be blissfully unaware that she is a three decades established best-selling author, which she later acknowledged. So, I mean, she is listening to what people point out to her, and it was unfortunate that she kind of did this in the first place, but you know, all of her advice was not terrible because I do see a lot of self published authors going out there. Um, they don't want to wait. They want to, to get rich quick. And this is not all of you, but there are some who do this and we all know that it's there. Um, they. If not get rich quick, they just want to be able to quit their day jobs, right? And totally sympathize with that, right? But sometimes the books are not ready. And when you self-publish, you don't always know that they are not ready. Uh, And maybe it doesn't matter because sometimes books that are half-baked still do well. But this is where she's coming from, is this idea that to take your time, and to give yourself um, the opportunity to to try these things, uh, a standard refrain among the indie author community, which I've talked about before, is that traditional publishing is evil; that it takes all of your money. Uh, I give out a shout out here to uh, C.M. Nescosta, who has put out a couple of very nicely balanced remarks on the whole thing, which is that th- what we o- have to keep saying, there is no one true way. Different paths work for different kinds of authors and neither one is perfect. Neither. And it, the, and it's the spectrum, right? If we look at either end, neither traditional publishing nor self publishing is, is, the ultimate answer where everybody gets to romp around in filmsy, flimsy robes and play harps all the time. Right. It's, there's a lot of work. There's downsides to both. Um, there are self-published authors out there like Sam Costa, who have made an amazing career for themselves, have a huge platform, are doing tremendously well. And that's fantastic. And then there are, self-published authors who are not. And maybe they're even writing great books and they're still not finding their audience. There is no sure formula. And so it's very easy for people to become upset and to go online and say, why is Laurel K. Hamilton, you know, saying, why is she stomping on indies? She actually wasn't stomping on indies. I, I watched the TikTok videos. She was saying that... She thought traditional publishing was a better path. She has simply been corrected now, and she acknowledged that, and she apologized, but not everything she said was entirely wrong. That, And she's basing it on her experience, which is 30 years old, right? And also based on serendipity, right? Which is something I talk about a lot, that it is difficult for people who have been tremendously successful to recognize the role of serendipity in their success, that they were in the right place at the right time with the exact right thing. Laurel K. Hamilton hit it, right? And now she has this faithful audience, a platform that she will just always sell books. She can write anything and she will continue to sell books. That's how it works. Um, But this idea that that this is the way that I did it. And this is what happens a lot with very experienced, successful people in any field is that they, they try to reverse engineer, right? They, it comes from a good place. They say, Oh yes, I'm very successful. And I have these people who admire my success. Let me reverse engineer how I got here and explain so that other people can do the same thing. And dear reader, does not work. Doesn't work that way. You can't reverse engineer it. Uh, oh, right. that's enough for today. I could talk about this more on Monday, but, um, yeah, I think I've made my points and I've already gone long. So I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you all on Monday. You all take care. Bye-bye.